Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the New Testament book of Hebrews. The New Testament book of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter number 12. Very few messages left in this series and it has been a very wonderful series. Of course, the book of Hebrews is my favorite book. So I've enjoyed the study and I'm glad that many of you have already expressed that you've enjoyed it as well and hopefully given you a, a lot better understanding of this book of Hebrews enough that when you read it for yourself, you have a better understanding, you see what it's saying, and that you could dive in even deeper than what we've done as we've honestly just kind of surveyed and touched the surface of this wonderful book. Well, with that being said, we're going to be diving in deep again in the book of Hebrews chapter number 12 with a very important subject and a reflection of who God is found in the book of Hebrews chapter number 12. The book of Hebrews chapter number 12, and if you don't mind to look with me starting at verse number 4. The book of Hebrews chapter 12 starting at verse number 4. The word of God says this, Ye have not yet resisted unto blood striving against sin, and ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children, my son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof ye are partakers, then ye are bastards, and not sons. Furthermore, when we have fathers of our flesh, which corrected us, and we gave them reverence, shall we not rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening for the present seems seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees, and make path or straight paths for your feet, which is <clears throat> is lame to be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of Hebrews chapter number 12? The book of Hebrews chapter number 12, and notice with me in verse number 5. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 5, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord. Despise not thou the chastening of of the Lord. And with the Lord's help, we want to address this subject that we find here. Despise not the chastisement of the Lord. Despise not the chastisement of the Lord. 
And with the Lord's help, let's go to the Lord together. Let's talk to him. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And Lord, as we come to you tonight, I ask for special wisdom and special discernment. For we know that homes are out of order. And because we know homes are out of order and that discipline is not done well, that because of that we have a wrong understanding of your chastisement. We, we don't understand it at all because of the way that discipline is done today. Lord, I'm asking that you would just help us to have wisdom on both of those subjects of how it deals with you as well as dealing with a home for the purpose that we could be strengthened, that we can understand how much of a loving God you truly are. Help us to understand the loving favor that you give to us and that we could truly say that we despise not the chastisement of the Lord, and nor would we faint at the rebuke of you, Lord. Help us again, not only to be understanding of it, but also learn how to respond well because you chastise us. I need your special help tonight that you would be with my tongue, you would be with my thoughts, that you would, with your spirit, fill me that I may say the things that I need to say, that I would say it in the way that you would ought to say it, that it would make sense, that it would be clear, and that it would be used to help us to move forward in the life that you've given us. I just cast my dependence upon you and say, Lord, I need you. Make it clear and let it be understood. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In this passage here, it deals with the idea of chastisement, dealing with the idea to be chastened. And if you're not familiar with the word, maybe we could make it a different thing. It carries the idea of discipline. It carries the idea of literally spanking. Or in the south, take someone outside the, behind the woodshed. It deals with the idea of the discipline that comes from a loving father and a loving heavenly father. Now because we have to understand the one. In order to get a good grasp of the other. That through this we're going to explain both of them. The chastening of the Lord. The discipline of the Lord. As well as how the proper home is ordered to be run. And we're going to be not only spending some time here. But we're also going to look in the book of Proverbs. The book of wisdom. Which deals with a lot of this. So that way we can have the best understanding possible. Of what God is telling us here and how God works within our life. You know, if we know how things work, then we learn how to respond. If we just feel like, well, God just hates me and he's trying to squish me like a bug, then we don't respond well. But if we understand what God is trying to do, then not only do we look for it, but may I say that we're also thankful for it? And that's what we should be, to learn that this is a loving act. And we'll cover this in detail here. But because this is a heavier subject, especially with the culture that we live in, we live in a culture that has a lack of discipline. And because the culture around us has a lack of discipline, it is now infiltrated in here. Do you know that most people do not know how to discipline their children? You say, how do you know that, preacher? Well, not only am I a preacher... But because I'm a police chaplain, I get to ride along. And it seems like the officers have the same message that the preacher does. Be the parent. 
Be the parent. Be the parent. Between all the things that are going on, what has happened in our country is the lack of parents being the parents and the lack of discipline. Now, this is important because if people don't understand how to properly discipline a child, if people don't understand how discipline works, then we're also not going to understand how God's discipline to us works. So this is such a vital subject because it helps us to understand how God works in our life. So with that, I really pray that you have a spiritual wakefulness and that we could go through this together so we could walk out of here. And my goal is not to say, man, God's going to spank me. I want us to walk out of here saying we have a loving father. And that's the purpose of this. So the first thing I'd like to show you here is that God chastens his children. God chastens his children. Now with this, I want to start with a misunderstanding people have. Because of our belief that Jesus has saved us and has paid for all of our price, full, free, and forever, some people mistakenly attribute what we believe as a saying, once saved, always saved. That's a poor way of stating Bible doctrine. But what they mean by that is they believe that we believe, so they think we believe, that once you say a little prayer, you could do whatever you want and you're going to heaven. You could go rob a bank, you could go stab someone in a back alley, you could do that. We don't believe that at all. What we do believe is that once you get saved, you become part of the family. Once you get saved, you have something called eternal life and everlasting life. And with that new life, you get a new father. And we have a father who loves us, who will not allow us to continue in sin. What he will do is chasten us. What he will do is discipline us. What he will do is spank us. What he will do is take us outside the woodshed. Because he's a loving father. Now this is important to understand. God will not allow his children to continue in sin. And so again, we don't use and we reject the idea of once saved, always saved. We believe in what the Bible states as eternal life and everlasting life. We have a heavenly father who loves us. So with that in mind, let's see what the Bible says concerning this. Notice with me in verse number five. And ye have forgotten the exhortation. No, notice that. Here's an exhortation. Here is an encouragement. Here is something to build you up. Here's the encouragement that speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord. Now that's supposed to be encouraging. That's our exhortation. Don't despise the chastening of the Lord. Why can that be said as an encouragement? Well, as I said, that chastisement comes from a loving father. And it is the most loving act a parent can never do is to discipline their child. God loves us. In fact, notice this, verse 5. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as children. Who's the children in this case? That's us. We are children 
under a heavenly father. He's not speaking to us as full-fledged adults. He's speaking to us as children. By the way, what's a characteristic of children? They misbehave. They find mischief. May I say at times they're foolish. And you know what a heavenly father does? Is he helps them through those times. By correcting their behavior. Not allowing them to continue in their foolishness. In their mischievousness. In their naive, uh, naiveness. He corrects their behavior. And so because of that, he speaks to you. He encourages you. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint. That word faint is a Bible word that carries the idea to quit. When thou are rebuked of him. All right. Now, this is easy to illustrate because we have the human uh, thing of this. All right. So a child gets in trouble. The parent tries to apply discipline, and the child throws a fit. I don't care. I don't want to be part of this family anymore. <laughs> That's what it's talking about. A wrong response to chastisement. And the Bible says that we as children, as God's children, we're not to despise or hate that chastisement. Don't be upset that God spanked you. That's actually a loving act. Don't despise it. In fact, we're supposed to get to the place where we, no one likes to be rebuked, but to get to the place where we're willing to accept rebuke. I don't want to say the word eager because that may not be the right word, but it carries the idea that I want to get across here, that we want God to correct our bad behavior. Instead of getting mad, to look forward to it. That my father cares enough for me. To direct my path. And that not to the place where we quit. Where we're rebuked of him. Where we totally melt down. And have a fit. Because God dared to tell us that we're wrong. It's like telling a little toddler. No. And all of a sudden the kid throws a fit. Or you go to Walmart and watch the mom struggling to tell him. No you can't have a candy bar and whatever else. <laughs> the Bible says for us as children, we need to learn how to respond correctly Amen. to the chastisement. And by the way, that is purposeful thinking here. You have to be prepared ahead of time. If you've never written this statement down in any of the times that you've been with me, would you write it down now? You can tell a lot from a person by how they handle rebuke. You can tell a lot about a person by how they handle rebuke. That statement is the core statement of this passage. You can learn a lot about a person by how they handle rebuke. If somebody dares to help you out, hey, you got something in your teeth. Oh, what are you doing? I can never be seen in public again. Why? I'm not going out anymore. Or how dare you? Mind your own business. Isn't that natural fleshly responses? Mind your own business. I can take care of myself. You could learn a lot about a person by how they take rebuke. Or thank you so much for caring for me to point that out. I would have never seen it. My, Thank you for that. You understand there's a difference. 
We need to learn how to respond well to rebuke. Notice as it goes on, if you don't mind, in verse number six, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he received. Notice this. Why does he chasten? Because he loves them. For whom the Lord loveth, he chastens. Why does God take the time to discipline us? Because he loves us. Just like a human parent. Because they love the child and because they want the best from their child, they will correct that behavior. We'll get into the Proverbs in just a second. But Proverbs speaks quite a bit about the ch- this principle of chastisement. But the Bible says, whom the Lord loveth. So you understand, we're trying to get to the place where we see chastisement as a loving act. And the Bible's saying, because he loves you, he's going to correct your behavior. Because he loves you. We all have neighbors and we all have the Walmart kids. Why don't I go grab some kid who's screaming at some stranger's basket and spank the tar out of them? Not my kid. Does that make sense? We all have the neighbors who are having problems around us. Why don't we do anything about them? Not our kid. I'm not morally invested in that child. I don't know anything about that kid. But the kids that I love, we're going to correct. My kids. Because I love them. The same thing with there. Because you've been accepted in God's family, he loves you. You're one of his children now. And because he loves you, he will not let you get away with sin. It's not because he's a big bad bully who doesn't want you to have any fun. He's correcting your behavior because he wants you to be your best. And because he loves you. Notice this, he scourgeth every son. Notice that, every son. There's no exception. If there is a child of God, quote unquote, who doesn't get spanked, he's not a child. Every child. So you may feel like, God always spanking me. Now, I don't know how your life was. I have two brothers and a sister. So we kind of grew up and we had our rounds and stuff and went round. But let me tell you, All four of us got our dues. Not a single one of us escaped. Why? Because we needed correcting. And we needed the chastisement. Every child of God will get spanked from time to time. Because there's not a single one of us that's perfect. We all left our own devices will wander astray. And God has to keep us in. Because he loves us. Notice with me if you don't mind verse 7. If you endure chastening. God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chaseth not? Again the same principle that we're giving here. Because you're his children. He will spank you. And because of that. This is encouragement to us. I'm one of God's children. He cares enough to correct my behavior. Verse number eight, but if you be without chastisement of whereof you are partakers, then you are bastards and not sons. You're one of the neighbor's kids. You're not one of his kids. This is a big deal. Every child of God will be spanked. By the way, this is a good time to say, if you've never been chastised by the Lord, then there's something wrong and something that needs to be fixed. 
Because I know that you're not an angel and you haven't lived a perfect life since you got saved. Every single one of us, including your pastor, has been spanked by the Lord and chastised and corrected from a loving father. If you have never been chastised or corrected by God, it's because you're not one of his. And something needs to be fixed. Now, we're going to pause here, and I want to show you some texts. We're going to keep going back and forth, but I want to show you these things in Proverbs that kind of builds the case and see what the Bible says. Turn with me, if you don't mind, to Proverbs chapter 3. Now, again, Proverbs has so many verses. I don't think I grabbed them all, but if you are in the habit of writing notes, it would be behoo of you. It would be good for you to write these down. You say, well, I don't have kids anymore. Well, it would be good for you to know what God is doing in your life. Second of all, because you might be able to teach someone else. The Bible says in the book of Titus that aged women are supposed to teach the younger women how to be keepers of home. And it goes through this list. How to love their children. That's one of that list there. Do you know that it's not really the pastor's job to teach a young lady how to spank their children? It's the aged women's job to teach the younger women, to disciple them, to pull them aside, and teach them how to be keepers of home, how to love their children, how to love their husband. And so it'd be good for you to have these verses so you could help someone else who may not know this knowledge that may need some help. In encouraging them. So this is still something for all of us. These are good verses to have down. Notice with me the book of Proverbs chapter 3. And notice with me in verses. Starting at verse 11. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 11. What we're seeing here. This is the verse that Hebrews is based off of. This uh, passage in Hebrews 12. Notice in uh, Proverbs chapter 3 verse 11. My son despise not the chastening of the Lord. Neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth he correcteth. Even as a father the son in whom he delighteth. Notice this. This is the passage that Hebrews is based off of. But notice this, the son whom he delighteth. Why does God discipline you? Because he doesn't just love you, but he wants the best for you. He delights in you. That is a great heavenly father there. And so we have this here as part of the wisdom books to understand that this is a natural part of being a parent to correct their behavior. In fact, notice what happens the opposite of that. The book of Proverbs chapter 29. The book of Proverbs chapter 29. Notice, if you don't mind, Proverbs 29. Start with me in verse number 15. Proverbs 29 verse 15. The rod and reproof give wisdom. So the rod is an instrument that's used to discipline a child. Reproof is going to be the words said to discipline a child. The rod and reproof give wisdom. But notice this. But a child left to himself bringeth his mother shame. Notice this. The rod is the instrument. The reproof is the words. But a child left to himself. Notice this. A child who is not disciplined Will, this is a promise, bring his mother shame. It's what happens when discipline is not given. Notice in verse 17. Correct thy son 
and he shall give thee rest. Yea, he shall give delight unto thy soul. What we see here is that we have a choice as we bring it to the practical on our end. Whenever we deal with children, we have a choice. Discipline them or not discipline them. If we choose not to discipline them, let me also put this as the Bible states, not as the world states, as the Bible states, if we discipline them the way the Bible states, they will be a delight to your soul. Isn't that what every parent wants? No parent says, you know, the, joy, the dream of my heart is for my son to make me miserable. I want to spend the rest of my life with worry lines and not getting sleep and just frustrated. No parent wants to do that. You know what every parent wants? Is for the children to be a delight to their soul. How is that accomplished? Not by accident, but by the rod, the instrument, and reproof the words. The Bible says, how does a child get wisdom? By the rod and reproof. Notice if you don't mind in Proverbs 17. Proverbs 17. <laughs> and notice with me in verse 21. Proverbs 17 and verse 21. Proverbs 17 and verse 21, the Bible says, He that begotten a fool doeth it to his sorrow, and the father of a fool hath no joy. Notice in verse 25, A foolish son is a grief to his father, and bitterness to her that bear him. Again, we're seeing this choice here. About foolishness. What is foolishness in the book of Proverbs? Carries the idea of a child that doesn't have regard to God. Or a person that doesn't have regard to God. Someone who doesn't have regard to God. Is going to write it down. Break their parents heart. That's a promise. Not all promises give you smiles. But this is a promise nonetheless. It's a principle that gives us. Notice if you don't mind. In the book of Proverbs chapter 23. Now, this is key. Remember, we're trying to show our understanding of discipline with us as parents and children. And then we're going to reflect it, how it teaches us about God. Notice with me Proverbs 23. Proverbs 23, and notice with me in verse 13. Proverbs 23 and verse 13. Withhold not correction from the child. For if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. Now, if you stop at this verse, people say, what a horrible verse. They use the word beatest. Now, it's not talking about the idea that you're killing the child. Though it may sound like it. You can smile, it's all right. But it does carry idea to do the job well, to spank the tar out of them. Notice that he shall not die. Meaning, he sounds like he may die. He's not. He's fine. You know what crocodile tears are. You know, when you spank a child or discipline a child, you are to continue to do it until the rebellion is out of them. And they're going to go through the stage where they're in rebellion and they're going to do everything they can to convince you it's enough, but the rebellion's not out. You continue until the rebellion's out. But notice verse 14. Thou shalt beat him with a rod, again the instrument. Thou shalt deliver his soul from hell. Notice that this is not just an earthly 
correction. What this does is it reflects who God is. Working with kids, we've had the privilege of working with church kids. And we've had the privilege of working with bus kids. Do you know that there are some bus kids that are 9, 10, 11 years old who cannot understand salvation? You can explain it to them, but they can't understand it. Then there are some kids, church kids, who are five years old and they understand salvation. They understand it. Why? Because of biblical discipline. What happens? The child begins to learn, because of my actions, there are consequences. For the wages of sin is death. Because I sinned, I owe God a punishment. They can understand that concept, whereas a child who has never been disciplined cannot understand. My actions have consequences? There's never been consequences before. And so they have a hard time understanding salvation because there's nothing to save them from. Does that make sense? In order for someone to be saved, they have to recognize that they're a sinner. And because they're a sinner, they owe God a punishment. But if they don't understand consequences, there's nothing to save them from. They don't think I deserve punishment. I don't deserve, I've never been corrected before. Does that make sense? That's why a lot of kids, there's such an age gap between what people could get saved at. It's how well they can understand discipline. But not only that, you take a child who was never disciplined and then later on in life finds out, hey, there's consequences with God. They learn to hate God because God's a mean old God. In the ministry, over 20-something years now, I've had three different times, three different times where I've had someone who was honest with me and about their life and whatnot, and I was asking them, why do you hate God? And three different times in all these years, they explained to me that all my life I had no consequences. And then for someone to tell me that God is going to discipline me when I'm his children... They feel like God's a bad guy because of that. God's an evil guy. And they have a hard time following him because they're mad at him. Does that make sense? How we do earthly discipline will actually teach our children how to respond to God. This is why this verse is such a big deal. Thou shalt beat him with a rod and thou shalt deliver his soul from hell. A child who is not properly disciplined will not respond properly to God. This is why our discipline is so important. We're not killing them, we're helping them. Even to the saving of their soul, where they can understand salvation and understand how to respond to God. Despise not the chastisement of the Lord. Does that make sense? This is why, because of our culture of lack of discipline and let kids do whatever they want and make decisions for themselves that they're not capable of deciding at young ages. You understand, when is a child no longer a child? When they're out of your house working a job and surviving on their own. When they're taking responsibility. Until then, you're in charge. You say, well, I've got an 18-year-old. If he's living in your house, eating your stuff, sleeping in your bread your, and stuff, discipline him. Now, an 18-year-old, you're probably not going to bend him over with a rod, but there still should be consequences for actions. 
You can't, don't let them get away with whatever they want. Do you understand that? Because we're teaching them how to respond to God. And without that, this is why so many people today have a hard time responding to God. They may legitimately get saved, but they never follow him. Because they begin to build an odd against God. Because God's the mean old God who won't let me do what I want to do. And that's not God at all. Does that make sense? Uh, is this kind of ringing true of what we know and what we see in our culture? This is important to do things God's way. And not what the psychologist and the witch doctors and everybody else says. We have to follow the biblical pattern. Because it goes more than just what happens at the home. It has spiritual implications. It gives us a proper view of God. We're going to come back to the book of Proverbs, but turn with me now back to the book of Hebrews. Back to the book of Hebrews. Now, we start off with understanding that God chastens his children. Without a doubt, he does. But with this, we also understand that God's chastening is out of love. That God's chastening is out of love. Notice with me in verse number 9. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 9. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us. Praise the Lord. And we gave them reverence. The word reverence has respect. That when a parent properly disciplines a child... Out of response to that, there is a respect. I know me personally, I called my parents up when I was in the military and said, you know what, thank you for disciplining. Thank you for spanking me. In fact, I need it a lot more than what I ever got. Because I appreciate, I respected what they did. You know, we've all done, and as most of us are parents or grandparents now, remember saying to your kid, this is going to hurt me a lot more than it hurt you. You know, as a kid, when the parents said that, well, fine, if that's the case, turn around, let's switch this thing around. I'm the one that needs a punishment. Let me, for some reason, they didn't buy that. But you understand, why does it hurt? Because we love them. And we're brokenhearted that they need the correction. But because we implemented it correctly, the response should be respect. There was a reverence, a respect for them because they cared enough to correct us. We're going to apply that in just a second. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For if they verily in a few days chasten us after their pleasure, but notice this, but he for our profit. You know, what does God get out of spanking us? Chasing us, disciplining us. It doesn't do him any good personally. But what it does do, he's doing it because he wants us to be the right people. The right citizens, the right Christian, the right followers, the right type of people, the right moral people. God does this for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. We wonder why people don't have an understanding of holiness today. It's because of the lack of discipline. To be more like Christ. To be separated unto him for his use. There's a lack of holiness here. Now, because of this, we understand that this is done out of love. I was 
We're going to go through the book of Proverbs in a second. But may I put this right here and now? Anytime that we, that our children walk out of a discipline session and they don't walk away saying, my parents love me, something wrong happened. That chastisement should always be expressed. This is a loving act. Now, I say this because people have no clue what love is. Hollywood has a bad version of love called lust. That is not biblical love. They have no clue what it is. Today, because the world has a bad idea of love, it is now swept into church. So people say, well, as Christians, we're supposed to love. That is correct. So because I love them, I'm never going to turn out, take, uh, get after them. I'm going to let them do whatever they want. I'm going to help them out. I'm going to, the most loving thing I could do is just smile at them and go on their way. That is not love. According to the Bible. God corrects whom he loves. The most loving thing you can do for a child is to discipline them because you love them. We have the pattern of God to follow this. Any child, parent who refuses to discipline their child does not love their child. Let me prove that to you. Turn with me, if you don't mind, to the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs. Notice with me Proverbs chapter 19. Proverbs chapter 19. Again, we're saying here that chastisement is a loving act. It should be perceived. They should understand it as a loving act. Now again, our culture, the way that they pose chastisement is because I'm mad at the child. They made me look bad. I beat the tar out of them and I'll show them. And they have the idea of dominance. That's not what it is at all. Notice, if you don't mind, Proverbs 19, verse 18. Proverbs 19 and verse 18. Chasten thy son while there is hope. And let not thy soul spare for his crying. You know, we have to discipline them while there's still hope. A child left to his own devices has foolishness abounding in them. They are not trusted to do that. That's why they're a child. Your job is to correct their behavior. They, as much as we would like, you know, and our idea of a perfect world is the child is automatically going to be born perfect, do everything that's perfect. They're going to grow up perfect. And if they're wrong, they'll fix themselves perfectly. We don't have to do anything. That'd be nice. But the only way to change the course that they're going to is correction. That's what the word correction means. We're changing the course. The Bible says chasing the sun while there is hope. Because we love them, we're correcting their behavior because they're on the wrong path. And let not thy soul spare for his crying. Again, the crocodile tears, the things that coming, the repentance. Kids become very good at convincing uh, a fake repentance. I'm so sorry. I mean, you know, I know kids that can cry on demand. You just look at them wrong. Tears start coming. 
because it's better than getting spanked. If they could convince you that they're, they're contrite. But the Bible says we're not so to spare because they're crying. Because we're trying to correct them while there's still hope. We're not trying to get them where they learn. By the way, this is where they learn I can manipulate the system. Boss, I know I showed up late, but let me tell you how poor things are at me. And they learn how to manipulate the system. Give a sob story, convince. Well, the reason why I didn't do my work is because of this. And you know what happens is that we have people who do not take responsibility for themselves. People who said, I'm, when, when's the last time you heard someone when they got rebuked? Listen, you were late. You should not have done that. You did this wrong. And someone say, you are right. I was mistaken. What can I do to get it right? You know, that could earn a lot more respect at office at school with others. To have that humbleness. To just admit they did wrong. But why don't people do that? Because they were taught not to. They were taught that if they could give an excuse, cry, whatever, they could get away with it. And the Bible says that we're supposed to correct them because we love them. Notice this, Proverbs chapter 13. Proverbs has quite a bit. And again, I'm not touching all of them, but I'm trying to give a good survey of them. Notice with me Proverbs 13 and verse 24. Now this is, this is very plain language. Remember, plain language is easily understood. And it doesn't give wiggle worm room. Proverbs chapter 13, notice with me verse 24. Proverbs 13 verse 24. He that spareth his rod hateth his son. You know why someone doesn't spank their child? selfishness. They love themselves more than the child. I just don't want to go through the heartbreak. It's too hard. And by the way, it is heartbreaking. And it is hard. But I should love my son more than my discomfort. I love my child more than me. So because I love them, I will chase them. But he that loveth him Chasing him be times. That means often. Now, that's not a lot of legal wiggle room. If you discipline your child, you love him. If you do not, you do not love your child as the Bible says. Does that make sense? Now, the world, this is opposite. And you know what? Because most of us live in the world and we see the movies and we see the things... Some of this is foreign to us. Because it sounds opposite to what the world's teaching. And it's, it's hard. But we have to determine, I'm going to follow what the Bible says. You understand that any parent who refuses to discipline their child will have to stand before God and give an account of why they did not love their child? Remember that one of the, the hallmarks of perilous times in Second. Uh, Timothy chapter 3 is unnatural affection. You want to know what the definition of that thing is? Not loving my children enough to discipline them. That's unnatural affection. Oh, I love my child. Well, are you correcting him? Nope. 
That is unnatural affection. And remember, we've explained that book, uh, that passage in 2 Timothy. That's not how the world see things. That's not a condemnation on the world. That's a condemnation of those who call themselves Christians in that passage. One of the hallmarks of perilous times is for Christians to have unnatural affection, not disciplining their child. Again, this is hard. This isn't popular preaching. This is hate mail type preaching. But I have to say, this is what the Bible said. I didn't make anything up. That's a clear passage. It's an either or thing here. So because of that, we're saying that it's a chastisement of love. And I said before that any child who walks out of a discipline session not thinking that uh, seeing it as an act of love, something went wrong. So may I take some time and explain what a proper discipline section, because it's not taught and people don't know. And because people don't know, they do the best they can. Many of us grew up with a wooden spoon or whatever implement was the closest or belt or whatever else. And we, we all know about discipline done wrong. And by the way, we condemn discipline done wrong. Discipline is done wrong when you spank a child out of anger. Because again, that's selfishness. You made me look bad. I'm going to teach you a lesson. That's not discipline. That's selfishness. Never, ever, ever spank a child out of, out of uh, anger. By the way, this is a good time to define our terms. There's a difference between chastisement and punishment. Chastisement deals the idea of correction. Punishment carries the idea to punish someone who did wrong. Our purpose is to correct their behavior. It's chastisement. Does that make sense? I'm not trying to get revenge on someone because of wrongdoing. I am lovingly trying to correct their behavior. So, we don't spank out of anger, but what happens? We don't discipline out of anger. By the way, there are other types of discipline. We could, if you have questions, you could see me later. The Bible speaks about using the biblical rod. By the way, there is an instrument that you are to use. Never use your hand. Your hand should always be a thing of love. But I'm not going to go through the instruments or anything. I'm going to explain the session. Bring a child in. You look at him eyeball to eyeball. Look at me, eye to eye. Don't let them look around and whatever else. Look at me, eyeball to eyeball. What did you do? We are looking for them to confess their sin. Because if they don't know what they did wrong or they won't admit that they do wrong, the correction will not work. So what did you do? I did this. Now, according to our rules, this is where being consistent is going to come key. According to our rules, because you did that, what do you deserve? And so we get them to admit not only what they sin, but the punishment that they deserve. This is why you be consistent. This is the rules of my house. If it's standing in the corner, then it's standing in the corner. If it's this, it's this. But you have consistent rules because you did this. there. Now, because you did that, what do I need to give you? And you get them to admit that this is not only what they deserve, but this is what I, my responsibility is to them. So they're admitting that I'm responsible for this. 
Now, am I a liar? No. So because I'm not a liar, what's going to happen? So you understand I'm teaching them, not only am I being consistent, but I'm teaching that I have to keep my word. All right? So we're doing teaching while we're going on. And then you go through the process. We could give a specific thing about the process later. You could ask me or whatever else. But you go through the process. When the process is done, then you place them back in front of you. Now, this is done and over with. I forgive you and we're never going to bring it up again. I'm not going to go tell the pastor. I'm not going to tell grandma. I'm not going to get on the phone and call the neighbors. I'm not going to do other things. You understand that provokes anger. The Bible talks about fathers provoke not your children to anger. You know, there's something about as a child going home and having the neighbors looking at you go, ooh, wait till you get home. I always knew I was in bad trouble then. You know, the neighbors are all staring at me, watching me do the death march. I didn't even know I was in trouble until the neighbors start looking at me. Uh-oh, and start playing through my mind what just happened now. You know, <laughs> I understand. We're teaching them that we're forgiving them. And when you forgive them, we'll never bring it up again. It's not going to haunt them. It's done and over with. And then we say, I love you. And we hug. Because they see this as a loving act, they're not going to resist hugging me. If they resist hugging me, it's because they have bitterness and anger. We need to go back and redo the process. Because it wasn't done right. There's still rebellion in the heart. But then we hug. We say we love each other. And then we pray. And we talk to God together. So by the time they go out of it, they're seeing this as a loving process. And not one because punishment or because I hate them. But they see it, it's because I love them. I'm correcting the behavior. But now it's done and over with. It's forgiven. I teach them about forgiveness. And we move on. You understand, there should be a process to it. And it takes time to do it right. But this is what's missing today is because you have the event without the extra stuff and the event doesn't do the job, but it teaches them to resent you, resent the punishment, and they don't see it as a loving act. We're changing their behavior because we love them. Remember, despise not the chastisement of the Lord. God disciplines us because he loves us. Now, we're taking this from the earthly. We had to explain the earthly to explain the heavenly. Why does God discipline us? Because he loves us. He's not doing it because he's mad and he has to take out his frustrations on the nearest child nearby. He does it because he loves us and he wants to correct behavior and he wants us to be the very best we can be. And we see this as a loving act because we understand what biblical discipline is. And that not only does he correct our behavior, but he forgives us and he never brings it up again once it's corrected. Isn't that wonderful? I don't have to expect calls from neighbor's house. Yeah, God told me what you did. Or God never brings it up ever again. It's dealt with and it's done. There's a forgiveness there. I'm glad that when God takes me outside the woodshed, it's finished. It's done. 
My behavior is corrected. I'm going the way that he's supposed to. He loved me enough to fix me so I did not follow into bad trouble. Did not get into worse trouble. He corrected me. And I see it as a loving act from a father who cares for me so very much. This is what it's supposed to be like. Turn back with me, if you don't mind, to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews, once again, and I want to show you one last thing from the book of Hebrews. We're still going to go back to the Proverbs to finish it up. But as we're talking about here, about the chastisement of the Lord, not to despise the chastisement of the Lord, that we understand that God chastens his children. Because we're his children, he's going to spank us. We also understand that God chastens us out of love. Because he loves his children, he disciplines us. But notice this, God's chastening produces fruit. God's chastening yields fruit, produces fruit. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse 11. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 11. Now, no chastening for the present seems to be joyous. That's a true statement. All right. Again, many of us grew up in different backgrounds. I grew up with uh, spanking. It was not biblical spanking, but it was spanking nonetheless. And let me tell you, I would never, ever volunteer for that. To lighten the mood, there were some times I manipulated my brother. Hey man, I know I did this one, but you know, can you take this one for me? Say that you did it and I'll get the next one. I don't know how many spankings I got him to take for me. I'm just scumbag brother and stuff. But you know, I got him to volunteer. But you know, nobody volunteers. Nobody comes home and says, Dad, you don't know what I did. But I got to tell you, I deserve a spanking. Can we get it now? I mean, nobody's volunteering. Nobody's raising their hand and saying, you know what I need today? I just feel it. Just spank me, get it over with. So that way I'm fixed. All right. No one volunteers for this. No, spanking should be like Christmas, by the way. It should be met with anticipation. The child should be going, I know what's coming. And with anticipation, going towards that mark. But nobody likes that. None of us said, you know what? I can't wait today. Woohoo! It's going to be Christmas. Dad's going to, mom's going to unload on me. No. Nobody likes to be chastened. By the way, nobody likes to be rebuked. Nobody likes to be told that you got green in your teeth. Nobody likes to be told you messed up. You shouldn't have said that. Nobody likes to be told that you didn't do this right. I mean, none of us volunteer for that. However, now no chastening for the present seems to be joyous, but grievous. Couldn't we agree with that? Spanking is a grievous time. It's that event there. But when it's done and over with, nevertheless, afterward, it yielded the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. So what's happening, even though it was not a fun process, it's done right, my behavior is corrected, it produces peaceable fruit. It produces me doing the right thing. I'm no longer doing the wrong thing. I'm doing the right thing because I don't want that again. I've been trained. I've been corrected. I've been put on the right path. And by the way, that's better for me in the long run. 
rather than run into the problem. The peaceable fruit of righteousness. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. So here, it's a picture. All right? We've seen every teenager and probably yourself. Oh. Again. It says, wherefore, lift up the hands that hang down. Why? God's good and God's right. Oh, stupid wicked against you. Why do I have to... It's going outside of the, the position of throwing a fit and going, you know what? God's still good and God's still right. He loves us. Verse number 13. And make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but rather it be healed. Again, it's giving a word picture in our mind that we're going to walk the straight path now. The lame carries the idea of having a bum foot. All right? And so it's dragging. So now I'm no longer walking a straight path, but because something's not working right, I'm now turning a different way. The Bible again is given an illustration that because I've been corrected, this idea of being lame here, can you imagine having your foot out of joint? And then it's corrected. It's popped into place. And now that it's popped into place, I could walk the way that I should walk. I've been helped because of what is done. Verse number 15 Follow peace with all men in holiness, without which no man should see the Lord. Now again, this is the second time that we've seen holiness attributed to discipline. Why do we have such a lack of holiness inside of even churches today? Because of a lack of discipline and a lack of understanding how God disciplines us and a lack of accepting what God has done for us. Verse 15, looking diligently, lest any man shall fall of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up in you, and therefore many be defiled. This root of bitterness, oftentimes we take verse 15 and put it by itself. But what is the root of bitterness being attached to? Despise not the chastening of the Lord. How many people do you know, maybe even yourself, are bitter with a parent because they chastise you. Now, they may have not chastised you right, but they tried. But, you know, you hold on to it. Bless God, my mom just did me wrong. My dad did me wrong. You know, there, there's a root of bitterness that comes with it. Well, in this, do you know that some people are mad at God because God corrected their behavior? How dare God tell me I'm wrong. I can do whatever I want. I can listen to whatever I want. I can watch whatever I want. I can do whatever I want. How dare you tell me no. And so because of their selfishness, because of they're not willing to yield with God, rebellion hits and they're mad at their boss. Now, most of us have worked in the workplace, adults. How many times have we seen a boss tell an employee that they did something wrong? And it could have been a minor thing, but the employee, I can't believe the boss, why do they mind their own business? Right? We've seen maybe even yourself. And they're mad at the boss because they dare tell I was wrong. How dare they? T- and they start building up things. My boss hates me. How many kids have said, my, I'm convinced that my teacher hates me? Why? Because they dare to tell you something you didn't want to do. And you start to build up bitterness towards them. 
and then anger and bitterness. And you're convinced they're out to get you. I can't, I've been teaching for a while. I've taught in high school, medical school, college, Air Force. I've taught for a while. And let me tell you, there is actually a line of teachers that say, you know what? I hate kids. So I want to be a teacher because I can't wait to get back at them. And I want to show them. Is that true? Does a teacher become a teacher because they hate kids and they're looking forward to some way to make them miserable? No. Your teacher doesn't hate you. You just did not respond well to something they gave. And then you built a case. You built bitterness towards them. Again, as it's applying to God, as a pastor, I know so many bitter people to God. Because God won't let them do what they want to do. They despise the chastening of the Lord. And the result is they're building up a case because they're bitter with God. Until they get enough and say, I had enough God. I'm done with you. I don't want to do this no more. I'm going to do my own thing. And they do. Now God doesn't stop chastening them. He's still after them. But they do everything they can to ignore. And they're so mad and bitter with God. You know people that like that? Just like I do. Where did it come from? They despised the chastening of the Lord. Let's finish up in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 22, if you don't mind. Proverbs 22. Again, thank you for your patience. And I know this is a harder subject. And we know that this one requires some spiritual maturity. And it takes even more maturity to be able to process it well and understand the spiritual implications of it. You say, well, I don't have a child. Well, you are a child. And you get corrected from time to time. You need to learn how to respond. Notice with me, if you don't mind, Proverbs chapter 22 and verse number 15. Proverbs 22 and verse 15. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Do you know what the natural default mode for a child is? Again, what am I defining a child is? If they're in your house, they're not married, eating your food, they're a child. They're not responsible for themselves. So is there foolishness in an 18-year-old? You betcha. Is there foolishness in a 4-year-old? Guaranteed. Foolishness is bound in the heart of the child. But the rod of correction shall drive it, what? The foolishness, far from them. We have a responsibility because we love our child, because we want them to yield fruit to drive out the foolishness. Again, not in a hateful way, not in a mean way, not in a way that we get the back, but in a loving process. But it's needed. The default setting for any child in every child is foolishness. They, foolishness does not go away by itself. It needs help. And we're here to help it. With all that being said, Notice this last verse, Proverbs 22 and verse 6. Same chapter, a couple verses before that. Train up a child in the way that he shall go. And when he is old, he will not depart from that. 
This is an important principle and promise. Some people understand this to read incorrectly, by the way. That if you trade up a child, teach them that you're supposed to go to church and all this other stuff. That what will happen is that they turn 16, they turn rebellious. And 18, they, they kind of go their own way. And 20, they sow uh, their wild oats. And 30, they kind of get some maturity. And 40, they start to get the thing together. And by the time they're 50, they'll finally get back to church. That is not what this verse teaches. This verse teaches, train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he is old, you place a number there. You train up a child in the way he's old. When he is five years old, he will not depart from it. You train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's 13 years old, he will not depart from it. You train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is 21 years old, he will not depart from it. You train up a child in the way he's go. When he's 30, when he's 40, when he's 50, he will not depart from it. The word here, training, is what needs to be paid attention to. The word training is, comes from a picture, a colloquial term, that when... In the ancient world, when a baby was born, you didn't have formula or similac. The only way that the baby could feed was off mother. And so you had to immediately try to train the child how to properly suck. And so there would be a paste, a bitter paste that they would put on the gums of the newborn. And as soon as they would put it on, the baby would start going... And it would be prepared, trained how to go ahead and feed so the baby would not starve. That term, that, that picture term, ended up coming into part of vocabulary, and it came into our word train. And it carries the idea of training up a child or putting it in their heart. So many times, discipline is done wrong because we correct the outside and do nothing about the inside. We never capture their hearts. We, we get them compliant without being submissive. They never gain a heart from God. They just modify their outside behavior until they have freedom and then they go crazy. This is why we see church kids all the time. They turn 18 and they never turn back and they go to the world and they go crazy. Because their outside was trained but their heart was never captured to God. The Bible says, if we train up a child, we properly discipline them, attach them to God, let them see who God is. Remember, all of this has been going to the idea of God, that discipline a child on earth helps them to respond to God spiritually. You train up a child, you get a hold of their heart, you train them the way that they shall go, and when they are 15, 18, 21, 30 when they are old, they shall not depart from it. This is the principle that's given here. And as we see, this is where we're missing it. This is the proof that we are not doing things the Bible way. This is a hard message. I understand that. But this is what the Bible clearly teaches. And the most loving thing I could have done tonight was to tell you the truth. Because this is what the Bible said. I understand in a message like this, it does not give warm and fuzzies. This is not one where we get the cheerleader pom-pom. We don't have the lady with a little hanky, amen, preacher. This is not a very big amening sermon. But this is one that's oh my and oh me. 
Not only for as we look at our own families. And we think of families close to us. But we also think of our own response to God. How many times we get angry and bitter and mad at God when he tries to correct our behavior. What is our response? We need to learn not to despise the chastening of the Lord. He corrects our behavior for our good. We need to get to the place where we want God to correct us. We want to be right with God. God, if I'm doing something wrong, tell me and I'll get it fixed. In fact, we want to get to the place where all God has to do is tell us and we'll change. All of us know people that learn by getting the head by hitting the head by a two by four. Right? We just refuse to listen till God waxes of that. Wouldn't it be better just for God to speak to us? May, the, there's a different Bible passage that said that he guides me with his eyes. Wouldn't it be better if he could just direct us with his eyes? And us do what we're supposed to do? You understand, this is all dealing with how we respond to God. And again, you may say, well, I'm off scot-free because I don't currently deal with children. That's not what we're talking about. We're asking, how do you respond to God? Do not despise the chastening of the Lord. It would be good for us tonight to go to God and say, God, I give you permission to correct me. Because I'm your child, because you love me, because you want the best for me. If there's something in my life that needs to be fixed, tell me about it. You know that takes a lot of humbleness because, again, none of us like to volunteer for it. But again, if he could correct us with his eyes or if he could correct us with just a word, isn't that a lot better than getting the spanking? Isn't that a lot better than getting the woodshed or the two by four or whatever else? Not to despise the chastening of the Lord. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.